Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Welcome back to Off the Shelf here on Breadbox Media. I'm your host, Pete Sox, a Catholic book blogger. Today we have with us Lila Marie Lawler. She is a wife of one, mother of seven, and grandmother of 16 and counting. She lives in central Massachusetts. She encountered Christianity as a high school student and entered the Catholic Church in 1979. The year she was married to Philip Lawler, noted Catholic author and editor of Catholic World News. Lila practices kitchen sink philosophy at Like Mother, Like Daughter, a website for practical and theoretical insight into all aspects of daily life. She writes on everything from cooking and knitting to education and recovering, what she and her daughters call the collective memory. Lila is a fellow of the Center for the Restoration of Christian Culture, a project of Thomas More College of the Liberal Arts in Merrimack, New Hampshire. Her previous book co-authored with David Clayton, Little Oratory, A Beginner's Guide to Praying in the Home, is published by Sophia Institute Press. Today she's here to talk about her trilogy, three-book set, Summa Domestica. Welcome to the show, Lala. Thank you so much for having me. So I've had Philip on before, so it's good to have the other half. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess... Um, First, what an impressive project. You created these three volumes. What's the story behind your desire to create this? Well, um, the story begins with the blog, um, which I've been doing for 15 years now, and uh, kind of started, um, my daughter actually started it, Rosie, and uh, we kind of used it to keep in touch with each other, but you know, the blogging world had started to get going. There were lots of mommy bloggers, lots of crafting blogs, lots of young women with little children. And um, I started to notice that, you know, I was older. I my, my youngest was 10 of seven children. And so I started to notice that a lot of the things that were being said on social media about you know, this world of raising your children, trying to be creative, maybe homeschooling, that they were very much um, reinventing the wheel, a wheel that I had already felt that I had had to reinvent <laughs> because of just the fact that I became a young mom in the 
height of the feminist revolution and had nothing to fall back on in terms of practical help. And so I felt the need to start saying something about what I had learned, my experiences, and also to warn people of these pitfalls that I felt that, you know, sort of recycled expert information, but where is this information really coming from? And, um, you know, I just felt that I needed to say something and blogging is an excellent form for me because um, I like to tell people what to do. So <laughs> I just <laughs> plunged right in and I like taking pictures and drawing people into my world as as modest as it is. And I don't have a crew of people touching things up or, you know, in any way mm -hmm. making this look better than it is. It's not perfect by any means and but it's my little world and I like to share it and over the years I just wrote about this and that I'd have series on this topic and that topic and pretty soon I thought you know it would be good to somehow organize it and my readers actually were saying I just wish I could give it to a friend or a daughter or my goddaughter and as a wedding gift this would be perfect so Fortunately, the people at Sophia were enthusiastic and helped me a lot. It was not easy to organize everything mm -hmm. to make it and present it in a way that it's not just blog posts. You know, it's something organized and edited and flows and yet retains that incremental feel. And it's by no means a sort of sit down and get the whole thing dumped on your lap, but much more entering into a conversation. Mm -hmm. So how difficult was it to compile this? Because, you know, I'm familiar with the blogging world. I have my own, do my own blogs and, and work with others that have them. And when you do a blog post, it's kind of like a uh, a quick drip. But in a book, oh, yeah. it's a more expansive thing. So how hard was it to go through 15 years oh, yeah, of blog terrible. posts to, to make <laughs> books out of it? It was really hard and it took me five years. I mean, it it wasn't easy and... Yeah, you don't want to, something sounds great as just, a, um, you know, a momentary shareable thing, even though when I was writing, I had in mind that this would be a rough draft for something maybe somewhere down the road. But yeah, to put it into book form, something that would be helpful down the road, um, and yet doesn't become pedantic, mm -hmm. it, it is a lot of work. And I, I'm very fortunate because my editor, um was just amazing and also that uh the designers came up with such a beautiful design but and then as i say in my acknowledgments i had friends and longtime readers who came in at key moments to say i think this is what you're trying to do here and that really helped me uh, so i do credit my readers a lot for mm. just helping me to, for being the ones who are like this is so my subtitle is Order and Wonder, and even a, a very dear reader said, you know, this is what your book is. It's Order and Wonder, and you you know, you should make that the, the guiding principle, and <clears throat> that really helped me because I was very much in the, in the trees at that point mm -hmm. of all the posts and could not see the forest, mm -hmm. so that, that was really great. But yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely um, the fruit of, of what I have done um, and learned and continue to learn over these years. I'm now a grandmother and I think I have some perspective and um, what you'll find in the book is not mommy blogging fodder. It is very much 
my perspective, mm-hmm. you know, over all these years of doing all these things mm-hmm. under difficult circumstances, I might add. So. <laughs> yeah. So there's this, as we get into the book here, there's this kind of fantasy, I'll call it, about what the perfect home in life is. But that fantasy is far from actual reality. How do how do we approach life so that we don't let that, you know, fantasy become depressing when our lives don't match? Right. So what I do, I say is that, that there's kind of these two stools that we fall in between a lot of time, especially when we rely on social media. And so the one is to just say, life is messy. It doesn't matter. I put up the plaque that says, you know, bless this mess. And I just kind of wallow along and let light hit me with everything and kind of do get defeated because I kind of just am always pulling myself out of the, the chaos. Or we see the perf- the perfection, the, the sort of Martha Stewart vision, um, you know, which does have that unseen crew making it happen. And we don't always realize that. And then we're holding ourselves up to this standard. And it's a very visual standard for women. And I think, I mean, none of most of us cannot afford it for one thing, let alone have the energy to implement it. And so then we feel, we also feel defeated because of that. But what I like to say is that instead of these two extremes, that we should aim for competence and try to get good at the daily tasks that we are called upon by our duties to perform. And so actually just learn how to do them and that's what I try to provide but then also to see it in the bigger context of that really as a woman especially making a home and I really am for the most part talking to women although men do read the blog and men do um, have written to me and talked to me about how much they've gotten out of it and I think the man his stepping back and looking at it his role is to provide and protect this vision of the home and the reality of the home for the woman it's really to make the home and there's a reason that it's the woman who does it and I do explain all that in the book and I think when you find that when you really pray and think about the fact that this is a hidden life that has such an amazing effect on the world and that in fact it's God's original plan for how the world will be constituted and how it will flourish that the woman has this tremendous role and to rely on that and have confidence on it in it and to say okay i'm just going to work on being a little better at it and my mm-hmm. son i have a son who when a co-worker said you know how can i improve he just looked at him and said just try to be 30 percent better <laughs> <laughs> and i just think that's great advice you know let's just try to be 30 percent better and and then of course to accept the fact that it is not an easy one and especially in our day and age it's a lonely one and i have thoughts about that too about how to make friends in real life and form a community where we can raise our children and they can really grow to be the custodians of this collective memory that somehow we have rescued from the dustbin of history. So mm-hmm. that's how I look at it. You mentioned something there that, that I'd like to take it a step further. You called it a hidden life, but in today's mm-hmm. society, I almost say it's a suppressed life because mm-hmm. society doesn't want to see um, women and families being structured the way that you're um, suggesting they are in these books. Right, not at all. And actually, um, the forces that we're up against right now 
uh, cannot bear there being something that they cannot monetize. And the home truly is the place where people are. And I mean, um, John Paul II said this in his many writings about the family. He said, the home is where people are valued for who they are and not what they can produce. And this is something inimical to our society in all of its various political forms, because above all, um, what the current thought is that everything should be monetized to the point that on social media, even homemaking is being monetized. There is nothing that will not be touched by this blight. And so it's really up to women to reject all that and to um, preserve and protect with our, with our own lives. And, our, you know, and I mean this for the intelligent, strong, spirited women that that above all, we will be the ones, especially for the sake of our, our sisters, to just say, yeah, I'm not just going to, I'm not going to be in the rat race because there's something important. It's a, it's a treasure and my children need me. My husband needs me. There need to be homes. If there aren't homes, there will not be places where people can rest and recover and know who they are in God's eyes. There just won't. It'll all be about production and being a cog in the wheel and even children will be thrown under that bus. So mm-hmm. I think women have a really important role and it is countercultural and yeah, it's hidden and suppressed and attacked. Well, I feel like as soon as I realize that, well then bring me to it because <laughs> I I enjoy being, you know, going against the grain and and maybe that, you know, my own just <laughs> battle to fight, but at the <laughs> same time doesn't that make the spirited woman have a little fight in her to just say yeah, how come everything is bearing down on this one particular thing? If it's so, if it's so little in importance, then why is it the focus of, of, um, of so much negativity? Mm-hmm. There's got to be a reason, and let's find out what that is. Yeah. So each of these three volumes has um, an overarching theme to them, and I want to give you an opportunity to kind of. Maybe give us a brief overview of we, what each of these three volumes covers. Sure. So the first one is um, just on family culture. And I talk a lot about um, the importance of the woman in the home, the importance of the home and the family and of marriage, how to protect your marriage, and then get into the nitty gritty of just the, the when we establish our family, you know, it's, it's all... It's all very well to have this um, wonderful idealistic vision, but it starts out with a baby, an infant that needs to be nourished, mm-hmm. and uh, toddlers who need to be somehow pulled down off of the curtains. And so I give very practical advice about that because I think that is a lot of the times where things falter for women. It's very difficult to be home alone with an infant or with um, a few little children, and one can easily be defeated because we don't see the big picture. We don't see where it's going. We don't think that it's going to ever change. And we don't realize there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So basically that first volume is sort of both the very abstract and theoretical and big picture and also the nitty gritty of starting out with little children. Then the um, second volume is on education. And as I said, beginning the blog, I really was kind of answering the question of, well, how do you homeschool mm-hmm. and what would you do? But it's not just homeschooling. It's the parents' um, vocation. You know, they have, marriage is constituted 
and ordered towards procreation, towards having children and building a family. And that means without missing a beat, educating the children. And that means forming them much far beyond like the curriculum of of what we think of as book learning. It's just the formation that that children are given with the firmness and affection that only parents can offer and the indispensable role that they have. So I delve into all issues of education in that volume. And will and there is a lot of help for homeschoolers also um, to give them the big picture. There isn't a lot of a ton of curriculum advice, although there is some, and they talk a lot about books because mm-hmm. I'm a very book oriented person, mm-hmm. and I firmly believe that um, that we need books. Books are being taken away from us, mm-hmm. and so we, to you know, here we will be in a hidden way building the culture in a huge way that will be to restore. Uh, actual books to our lives, mm-hmm. but also music and art and celebration and things like that. And then in the third volume, I talk about housekeeping. And one of the big questions that I was always answering about how homeschooling was, <clears throat> how do you do it all? How can I educate my children and make dinner and do laundry and keep my house clean? Yeah, it's three huge jobs and all rolled up to one woman who you know, has no support from her community and is does no idea how to go about doing any of it. So um, I really start out with, you know, with the priorities of what you need to do to provide this order in life, in daily life, so that, you know, it's not going to be perfect by any means, but it will be reasonable. And you will be able to turn your mind to how you will teach the children Latin or Euclid or what have you, because you'll know what's for dinner. Your laundry will be more or less under control. Your house will be reasonably clean and tidy. And that is kind of my goal um, to say, don't embark on this, you know, grand vision of, yeah, like teaching the children, uh, worrying about their calculus curriculum when, you know, they're wallowing around and can't find their socks. So, I, I kind of feel like it's important, and and so that that is how I started on the blog, and so all of that is in that third volume, the housekeeping mm-hmm. aspect. So let's dig into some of the topics you cover here. And um, so we homeschool, you homeschooled. Um, mm-hmm. The we used to be the odd ones, and then COVID came along, and we suddenly became the model. <laughs> Uh, so what are some rewards that you experienced from your own time of homeschooling? Well, so I did all, uh, we, we did all the things. So, um, we homeschooled, but we also, um, did do private school, public schools. We kind of did it all. So, um, I can honestly say, especially if you can, have a few like-minded families with whom you can share your overall goals, not necessarily specific curriculum goals, but um, just the overall goals of trying to keep the children protected from outside uh, influences that are so detrimental and um, uh, really dangerous and, um, and that, and that would like, other friends who would like to have some flourishing of culture. So, um, 
you will, I think people who homeschool will find that the freedom that it gives you is so incredible and it's such mm-hmm. a relief and it's, it's just so life-giving because you just, there's just a world that we knew nothing about when we were beholden to everybody else's ideas of what should be done when. And especially, I mean, in a very fundamental way for the good of the children, I think it's pretty obvious that not every child is going to benefit from being forced through a certain path that has been determined to be the best possible thing for the greatest number of people. And yet, actually, in practice, what it turns out to be is a, a kind of very utilitarian process that everyone has to go through and only a small percentage really get anything out of and everybody else is kind of can't wait to to get out get out of the system mm-hmm. in order to do what they really want to do mm-hmm. what is the point of forcing someone for to do 18 years of that it just doesn't seem to be just a nice way to spend your children's lives so i think um I, it was so funny because when maybe like 10 years into our homeschooling life and we really there was nobody else homeschooling when we started um there was actually an article like in the new york times magazine or something a long article about how for some reason they did see that there was this threat looming of people beginning to choose homeschooling and it was this long article about the author's vision of how school is really actually so superior but what it boiled down to was he enjoyed walking to school and he enjoyed recess that was literally the point of this like probably 8,000 word article. And it was kind of like, <laughs> well, we ha- can take walks and have recess. That's kind of what homeschooling is. So I think we have checked those boxes. So yeah, I think um, homeschooling is just something that is gonna, I think only grow when people, and PS, when we started, there was no internet. Now you're able to just connect with Mm -hmm. so many people and have so many ideas and the smorgasbord of everything you could choose from. Although I will say that I'm very much an advocate for not having the children do their school online, Mm -hmm. but for the parents, it's a huge benefit. No question about it. I used to have to order a book and wait two weeks to get it Mm -hmm. and then proceed from there. So, so in that, in in the second volume is where you talk about the education and you know, we're talking about homeschooling and educate, educating the children, but you also talk about educating ourselves, uh, mm-hmm. how important it is for us to continue learning and growing because, you know, I often think we forget about that. Um, what can you add to that? Oh, yeah. I often joke, and it's not really a joke, that the way that the adult will get actually finally get his education is by homeschooling his children. And maybe that's actually the system is that <laughs> everyone will just grow up and begin to educate their own children. And that's when they'll finally realize like, oh, this is where all the countries are in the world or, oh, this is what the um, the Krebs cycle is, you know, when they finally crack open that biology book and try to figure out what it is in order to explain it to their children. So, um, yeah, I think, um, but just aside from that book learning, it's just we're always growing and hopefully every person the stages of development just keep on coming i mean when you get to be 
of the age where your children are heading off to college and maybe getting married, well, that's when maybe your parents become elderly and you have to begin taking care of them. Suddenly you realize, yeah, I'm now in a new stage of development. I'm, I'm, you know, in my 60s and I'm still finding new stages of development. And sometimes I feel like a toddler just, you know, kind of wanting to throw myself on the floor and cry. But, <laughs> um, but that, I think, is the way to approach life that, that we're learning and always um, being open to new things while reaching back to our experience. And I try to encourage that and to help people see that learning is not a matter of just pouring information into a child's head. And it is a matter of, of helping them to acquire the the tools and abilities to assimilate the vast amounts of ideas and information that there are in the world. And we're along, going along with them for that journey. And mm -hmm. I think they sense that when, when they see that we're interested in things and uh, we're trying to figure out how to do things, that helps them um, figure out for themselves. So that just makes life interesting. It's just way better to approach life that way, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So this kind of overarches in the whole, I think, intent of this series of books and the um, topics you include. But we live in a society where uh, two-income in households are the norm. Um, we're a single-income household here. Um, when I was in the secular world working, I, I always got a lot of questions about how do you pull that off. Um, mm -hmm. So how difficult was it for you to make the decision to be a stay-at-home mom? Well, fun, funnily enough, I, I mean, I definitely was educated at a time when not only was it just assumed that women would go through all the levels of education, but I mean, even I have a, um, my father was Muslim, he was Egyptian, he was from Egypt, and he absolutely was, uh, he was an academic and he was just like, this is what you have to do. There's no question about it. In my mind, I was going to go through graduate school and have a career. But at the same time, I also knew um, my mother was very, very committed to the idea of when you have a child, you take care of that child, you nurse the baby, and, you know, mothers should not be separated from their children, which is ironic because my parents did divorce when I was very young, and she did have to work. So... That's, that kind of shows you like there's, there is a divergence of thinking where people don't realize you have to make sacrifices to, to achieve the things that you think are good. But anyway, I just thought, I just knew that when I had children, I would be home with them. And I did meet my husband when I was very young and knew that he was the one for me. And, and just, it became clear to me that it just didn't make sense for me to put even though I was going to an elite college and, you know, certainly could have done whatever, I just didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be beholden to someone else's schedule and to some outside entity. I didn't really think it through, even though in many ways I was very much a feminist by just participating in sort of whatever the hive mind was. <laughs> I just didn't actually want any of it. And I kind of just tend to do what I want to do. So 
I was just like, well, I'm just having a baby. I mean, we're married. I was like, I'm just going to have a baby. And, um, and it was hard because, again, I did not have the skills, the domestic skills. And so it was really hard for me. But, um, and, and we did go through some really hard times. But, I mean, financially. But the thing is that, well, it just was so clear to me that I just had to buckle down and figure out how to make do with what we had because there's no way that I was going to leave these children to go and work. That just didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And the, the truth is that even financially, it doesn't make sense, except for the very elite people, and especially in academic life where the schedule is not as rigorous. And so those people, because they are the elites, they tend to, they tend to kind of impose their own life experience on other people who aren't in their circumstances. And then those people bear the brunt mm -hmm. of the actual reality of it, which is that you're going to be taxed so high for those two incomes and you're going to work so hard and you're going to end up spending so much money just to get through the days when you're bleary and mm -hmm. can't think and are, and would just are sad because you can't be with your children. So it doesn't, it doesn't actually add up unless you're in that one little slice of um, the population that why even talk about them? They're always going to do what they want to do. Right. So, um, so yeah, for that is a big uh, goal of my book is to show women how to live in a way that you can survive on one income. And um, that is very important to me because it is doable. If, if you accept, and many people do it and flourish and they thrive and it's great. Um, some people do it and they're poor and we were poor. There's no question about it. People would say to me, well, your children are now going to college. How are you affording it? And I would just look at them and be like, we accept being poor. If you're poor enough, then your children get financial aid and I mean, we had, you know, one not very great car and <laughs> didn't take vacations, and that was worth it. Now, I think, isn't even, I don't even think college is worth it now. I mean, mm -hmm. things have, even in the past 10 years. Um, or indoctrination very, camps, as I like to call it. Yes, yes, with a very, very few exceptions. Um they are just, I mean, you're, you're going to send your children off to a place where they're going to have to lie. So I don't even know about that. But, um, but even, you know, whatever the goals are, it's God who's in charge and we just have to do what is right. Of course, then, yeah, we will accept certain limited circumstances, but it can, it can be done, no question about it. And the great thing is just to approach it with a fighting spirit and to say, yeah, we're just going to do it because this is the right thing to do. I need to be here in the heart of my home. I need to have the freedom and the um, the lack of outside commitments so that I can manage our money, the money that we have, so that I can manage our household, I can educate the children, and I can be a part of my community. And this is kind of the, un, the secret um, the unspoken element that feminists never admit, which is that all, only now it's, it is becoming more obvious. All of the women who are out there having great careers really can only swing it because there are women at home, either their own mothers, 
taking care of things or stay-at-home mothers who can, in a pinch, pick up their children or what have you. If all the women worked, <laughs> there would be no one to pick up the slack. And that's, that's the dirty secret that no one will acknowledge. And it's better instead to say, no, actually a neighborhood needs needs mothers in it. <laughs> <laughs> and children need uh, need mothers who are, who are not beholden to outside entities so that if somebody's sick or if there's an elderly person or if somebody is going down the street who shouldn't be going down the street, there is somebody there. Mm-hmm. And that, that's just, that's how society should be. And that's what I'm all for. <laughs> yep. So, uh, Lila, great volume, three-volume set. Uh, where can people find the Summa Domestica Order and Wonder in Family Life? Well, it is available from Sophia Institute Press and um, also on Amazon and wherever um, you buy books, including at some small Catholic bookstores, which I encourage people to uh, request it at their small Catholic bookstore if they don't see it. But I know that for a fact that they are um, in various places. And, um, yeah, they're definitely available. All right. Well, that's all we have time for today. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and spending with us. Any closing thoughts? Thank you so much. Oh, I have one more thought about when you said what are the um, benefits of homeschooling. Mm-hmm. I will say that your children will be friends with each other. And that is so wonderful uh, in a way that they aren't when they're kept separate from each other all day. Mm. So there are, there are many benefits for, uh, to, to, Until next time, God bless.